Today on the show, we've got a couple of spooky classics. Christine from 1983 and Night of the Living Dead from 1968. And Night of the Living Dead is in public domain, so guess what? I get to use clips. Oh yeah. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Today I want to talk a little bit about something that has taken the world by storm. Those little fucking short videos that you keep seeing everywhere that are all vertical videos. You know, the reels and the... uh. Oh, what do you call it? Like the TikToks or what have you. And they're just fucking everywhere. And they, I mean, there are things all over the place on these. You know, there's some of them are educational. Very few of them. Some of them are very entertaining. They, they'll have clips and things like that. I think the worst thing that I see, aside from people just lip syncing shit, is when I have to watch a clip of something... That's like, you know, it's a widescreen format show. And I get to see like a quarter to a third of the middle of the screen and just watch that portion of it. That's not my idea of a good time, people. I, I wish I wish we could have popularized something that was in the 16 by 9 widescreen format and just left it at that. I would have loved that. But alas, that is not the option we went with. So... One of the ones I noticed today was, it was like somebody was singing, and you know, they always put like captions and shit in the videos when they, they post them, and they like, they'll like, basically like, share their take on the whole video, and say, oh, you've got to see Chandler's reaction to this, or, you know, oh my god, his, his voice is amazing, you know, and it's some dude that's fucking, you know, singing that has a good voice, but it's like, I really don't want to watch a guy sing like I, I'm not interested and if I if I do want to watch him sing I'm probably gonna pay to do it and it's not going to be on my fucking smartphone that I'm gonna watch him okay so and then that kind of led me down a rabbit hole because you know I saw one video like that where a guy was singing and everybody was impressed and then that led to a clip from one of these American Idol type shows that I cannot fucking stand where I get to sit and watch people react to a person singing one way or the other, you know? And and if they're a good singer, they're all, like, super animated about it and acting like it's the greatest fucking thing they've ever seen in their life. And it's like, yeah, no, that... I mean, that's great. It's it's cool and all. It's just... I, I'm, not, I'm not entertained by your reaction to someone who is a good singer. And I just... I don't need to see the process that studios and record labels go through trying to find someone with talent that has some kind of star quality. Like, I don't need to be in at that level. I'd rather just look up bands on Spotify and just listen to, you know, something that's close to my taste on random and see what I find that's good. And I think that is a much better use of my time because chances are pretty good it's it's going to be more of a successful outing for me if I do that. If I use the Spotify route, I'm going to prefer it. It's it's so much fucking better. I love it. So our first movie today is Christine, which came out on December 9th, 1983. 
It was directed by John Carpenter, who I've covered on this show pretty recently in my uh, episode on Halloween. You know, I mentioned a lot of the, the movies of his that I really like, and he's he does have so many good ones. And this one was, I think the way I understood it was this one was more of a paycheck for him. He wasn't really invested in it like he is in his, his other stories. But that's, you know, that's fine because he still does it more justice than I think a lot of people would have because he's just that talented of a guy. Uh, it was written by Bill Phillips, but the, you know, it's based on a novel by Stephen King. It was produced by Richard Kobritz and Larry J. Franco. Our leading man, I guess you could call him, he's not like the protagonist of this movie, but whatever. Keith Gordon, and these are all relative unknowns, so I'm not going to do a whole ton of talking about the other movies they've done, but Keith Gordon plays a guy named Arnie, and he's Arnie Cuntingham Cunningham, because Cuntingham is the affectionate nickname that the bullies have given him. Okay, so he, he didn't really do much for acting other than this. I mean, he, he was definitely in other stuff as an actor, but he had more notoriety as a director. He directed episodes of Fargo, Nurse Jackie, House, Dexter, Homeland. I mean, that's that's those are some pretty solid shows. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but I happen to know that they're pretty fucking decent, right? So then we have John Stockwell, who plays the character Dennis. And the only thing you would know him from, not really only thing, but you would know him from Top Gun. He played Cougar, the guy who like freaks out in the beginning of the movie and is like the only reason that Maverick and Goose even get into the program at all. So, I mean, that's something. Uh, Alexandra Paul plays the character Lee. She had a twin sister who often stood in for her. And I don't mean like, I mean like in the true sense of like a stand-in. But like, you know, they, they used to play pranks. And, you know, a couple of times, I guess, like the sister was actually like on screen when she wasn't supposed to be and they didn't realize it and nobody said anything. And they it's just like, it's one of those things that I'm like, gosh, you would think like, because I... I find the like the jokes that twins can play pretty lame, you know? Like I get it. It you guys look exactly like each other. That's fucking amazing, you know? Like hooray for you, but like to to still find that fucking hysterical when you're in your 20s, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, there's that. And then she was also in uh Spy Hard, which was a Leslie Nielsen movie, and she was in Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, and I'm still on the fence about whether or not I want to see that because I've never heard anybody tell me, oh, man, you got to check out Dragnet. That's such a good one. It's just, it's early enough Tom Hanks that he's still a comedic actor, and it's Dan Aykroyd, and Dan Aykroyd is one of the biggest fucking rolls of the dice you could fucking throw. Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie. He plays Detective Junkins, which is a a name, and he was in Alien, The Green Mile, Paris, Texas, which I saw all sorts of shit about how I needed to see Paris, Texas, and every fucking internet list that's like, you know, these little-known movies are, you know, ones you've got to see, and I check out Paris, Texas, and it is a fucking bore, and it and it's just, oh, it's so fucking slow, and it's like, it's good by the standard of this is like an independent type movie. 
and this, that, and the other thing, but it's not like a solid movie in my opinion. I don't, I don't, I would never watch it again if I had any say over it. He was also in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Escape from New York, which is another John Carpenter movie. A couple of casting notes. Kevin Bacon was offered the lead role of Arnie, but he turned it down to appear in Footloose, and I think that was the right call for his career. He was... I think pretty well unknown other than he was in Friday the 13th, which is another connection to that same Halloween episode where I talked about Friday the 13th, and that was in 1980, so four years. I don't know what he did in the meantime, but whatever. The studio wanted Brooke Shields for the role of Lee, who is, you know, the main female character, and the studio wanted Scott Bayo for the role of Arnie. And ultimately what they did here was they just decided, hey, let's go with unknown actors or generally unknown actors and just put them in this movie because we don't we don't need a bunch of top dollar actors, you know, clouding this movie up. And I'm like, I feel like that kind of hurts you, you know, like you can do that if you want to. And sometimes it's successful, but a lot of times it it turns people off to a movie. If they're like looking to see it, they're like, well, who's in it? You know what I mean? Oh, there's some movie called Christine by, you know, Stephen King. Even though the book hasn't come out yet at this point, you know, it's like, yeah, but who's the who? Who's in it? You know, like none of these people are familiar at all, even a little bit, to me at least. I mean, I I recognize them th- that they've been in stuff since this movie, but it, it's not the same as I don't know. It, it's tough to say. So basic plot synopsis. A nerdy high schooler finds the car of his dreams in a 1958 Plymouth Fury that turns out to be sentient and murderous. Yeppers, that's what we're dealing with here. Stephen King has turned virtually everything you can think of into a horror movie, so it's not surprising when things like this come along where it's like, alright, I guess we're we're having a car monster type thing. Alright, let's do it, Stephen King. You just tell us when you can get the book by. I noticed almost immediately in this this movie there, you know, the, the movie starts and they're on this assembly line and this is, you know, way back when in the 50s or whatever. And, you know, the car is on the assembly line and they basically are like setting up that this car is evil and, you know, like a couple of people end up dead and it's just ridiculous, you know, like th- they're on like the end of an assembly line because the car is all put together and, I mean, this guy is checking around it, and the car kills him, and then another guy gets in the front seat, and the car kills him, and it's like, it's all a little kooky, the way, the way this car is like, it, it's, it's kind of confusing, you don't really know how this car is killing a lot of people, I mean, there, it's pretty obvious with some, but it's like, you don't really see everything that's going on, and it's a little frustrating, but they used the song... Bad to the Bone by, I think it's George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. I, I don't mind the song. I just don't like what the song always seems to stand for in, in any movie. You know, it's like in the beginning of T2, I think they play when Arnold Schwarzenegger goes in, he breaks into the biker bar and he steals the biker's clothes and he's got his shotgun and he's like taking I he, he takes the motorcycle and it's like it starts playing when he rides off on the motorcycle and it's like I don't 
I hate the music cue. I hate when I start to hear it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what it is about this song because it's, it's like a song that I don't mind hearing, but it's, it's also one of those songs that's like, there's almost no substance to it. You know, I don't feel like there's a whole lot going on in the song at all. And it's not like it's got a catchy chorus. It's just, it's got a cool guitar riff and that's it. They, they do a lot of, and this is actually a high point of this movie where they, these different people are getting in the car and this car is playing like old songs on the radio, you know, and it's kind of like its way of communicating or whatever. And it's, it's kind of nifty, I guess, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, they, I mean, they play like a Buddy Holly song and, you know, when the guy gets in the car at the assembly line. At the beginning of this movie, they're setting up what, like, you know, after the assembly line scene, because you don't really know, you know, you just know that they're setting up what an evil car this is, right? And then you flash forward to present day 1983, and this guy named Arnie, who, you know, is like one of the main two guys in the movie, is, you know, they're, they're setting up what a nerd he is, and they're, you know, showing you what he, what he does, and how he acts, and behaves, and all that stuff, and he goes to, he takes his lunch from his mom, you know, because he's, like, 17, and I'm already, like, this tired old gag of, like, the mom waiting out front with, with the kid, and handing him his lunch before he goes, and Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, it's a little silly to me, especially like when you're that much older, you know, when you're 17. I could see it if you're like a seven-year-old, you know, if you're, if you're under 10, it's probably not a big deal to have your mom hand you, you know, hand you your lunch in front of your friends. But like to do it when you're old enough to drive is insane to me. And so he keeps running across this fucking puddle to like, to show what a dork he is fucking runs across the puddle and he he shows a startling lack of understanding of how you're supposed to behave around puddles because I don't know about you but I don't like to get splashed by a puddle and I know how to act around a puddle to make sure that that doesn't happen if I can help it and that's all there is to it like I mean he but he just doesn't you know he keeps it's like oh look at me I'm such a nerd (laughs) and then you know he gets in he gets in the car and, you know, his his buddy is in there, uh, you know, John Stockwell's character, Dennis. And he, he, they they immediately start in on this plot of, like, he needs to get laid. You know, this Arnie guy is such a square, he needs to get fucking laid. And I'm like, oh, no, like, maybe in 1983, it wasn't so bad. But I feel like I have seen every iteration of let's get this dorky guy laid movies, you know, and it's, it's so tired. I just, I can't do it anymore. And I realize that's not this movie's fault, so I won't hold it against it, but I'm just saying I can't fucking stand that. And by the way, fucking Kelly Preston is in this movie, but I didn't even put her on the cast list because she's so far down the list because she's like nobody, you know, she's like, she, nobody would have ever have heard of her at this point in this movie. Or, you know, when this movie came out. And they're... So, like, they get to school. And, you know, you're just kind of basically seeing this world. You know, they're they're laying the groundwork for, okay, this guy's getting bullied. This guy's, you know, having trouble with, you know, they're stealing his lunch. They're taunting him. They're doing all sorts of stuff. And it's just like, what, what are we doing here? You know, and, like, 
so eventually, you know, they still launch, and this this guy is, you know, that's bullying them is he's he pulls out a switchblade. You know, he's a real tough guy. You know, and I'm just kind of like, I just, I mean, obviously, different day and age. You know, I mean, in in today's schools, if you fucking even had a whiff of a a knife in school, you'd be fucked. Like you'd fucking get expelled. You know, but like they end up it it ends and it's basically like a really you know, like an open-ended confrontation where it's like Dennis tries to break it up, you know, and basically it doesn't end well for Arnie and all this stuff. And so then it's like they're starting to get, oh, let's see, we're, you know, we're going, we see this old car, you know, they're uh, they're out driving and they see this, oh, this guy's got, uh, you know, an older car and Arnie is just fucking in love with it. He just can't get enough of this car. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's a big fucking hunk of junk, you know, it's like all rusted out and stuff. And I'm like, you're not going to do anything. I mean, realistically, it would have cost so fucking much money to repair a car that was in this bad of disrepair that I don't even know what the fuck they were, you know, like how the fuck he would have actually managed this. But the guy that sells the car, the car is named Christine. That is the name of this movie. Uh, The guy that sells Christine to Arnie is the guy who plays Old Man Marley from Home Alone, okay? Isn't that nifty? Basically, Arnie buys this fucking car, and his parents, you know, they have a real fucking lockdown on his life. You know, like, they're not necessarily, like, abusive or mean or anything, but they're basically just in charge, and they don't really let him stray anywhere they don't want him to go. You know, they don't give a shit. And so it's like, he basically puts his foot down. He's going to get this car. He wants it. And then it's like his, you know, the, the mom, the mom and the dad both are real fucking assholes too. Like, I mean, he, I mean, he ends up basically making you kind of get on their side because Arnie basically like this whole love of Christine thing is like, it turns him into a monster and he's like kind of an asshole. I don't mean a literal monster, of course. I mean, like, a monster in the less literal sense. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, <laughs> and it's at this point, even though they've, you know, he's already, you know, it's less than a half an hour in and he's already bought the car. I'm already like, we need to pick up the pace really fucking bad here. I mean, we got, we got Kelly Preston and we got this other chick and... They look nice, you know, they look very nice on screen. They they don't... I'm surprised that they chose the girl that they chose to be the main girl. Because Kelly Preston, at this point, like, I mean, I can't remember what that other movie was that I remember her from in the 80s. But it was like, she acted like, you know, she, I mean, she, she acted in something. And I can't fucking remember. And anyway, she looked really nice in that too. And it was like... Why isn't she a leading lady in these movies? Does she not have the acting chops and I just don't see it because they don't let me see it? I don't know. But, I mean, I, I honestly think that they should have swapped roles unless that acting thing is really a thing. I mean, obviously, Kelly Preston, she's she was mind, you know mildly famous. I mean, she was probably more famous for having married John Travolta than actually, you know, on her own momentum. But, eh, what can you do? So... At one point, one character says, I think it's Dennis says it to Lee. He says, hey, do you like music? 
And to me, that question is always kind of like, hey, do you sometimes eat or breathe air? You know, it's like, I don't know anybody that quote unquote does not like music. It's that they don't necessarily like all kinds of music necessarily. And that's fine. But I mean, that's that's what I'm saying is it's like, what? why are we asking, do you like music? Hey, like, what kind of music are you into? You know what I mean? That's completely, and I should be, you know, fucking terrible at this, but apparently I'm better at it than dudes in movies are. So what the fuck? So anyway, <laughs> I, I asked myself at this point in the movie, which is probably about a half an hour in or so, and I asked... Am I to gather that Christine is turning Arnie into an inconsiderate douche nozzle? The answer to that question was yes, Brandon. Yes, Brandon, from the past, that was exactly what was happening. Old Man Marley was uh, basically like, you know, uh, Dennis goes back to find out what's going on with this fucking car because, you know, Arnie's becoming this douchebag. He's just completely different. And basically, like, old man Marley just tells Dennis, he's like, yeah, you know, that that really fucked my brother up and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's his brother, like, killed himself in the car and his brother's wife killed him, killed herself. I don't I don't know if he killed if he killed the wife and himself or if they both killed themselves. I'm I'm willing to bet it's the first one. And. I, I don't understand, like, does, it's not clear, does Christine target people, you know, like, does she, she find people that are weaker minded or, you know, like, not as, not as strong of personalities to, like, be able to manipulate more? That's not clear. The The storytelling in this one, it's not terrible, it's just that aspect is kind of left out, it's just like, they don't really fill in that blank. And they're at this this football game, and Dennis is playing, you know, because he's, like, more of a jock type. And then Arnie wheels around, and, like, the, the car is all, like, fully restored and all that shit. And there's, like, this, like, he brings the girl Lee with him, the, the main girl. And, like, Dennis has already asked this chick out, and she she basically blew him off, and then... Apparently, Arnie really won her over or something, but anyway, it, it, there's basically, like, an altercation where Lee almost dies inside Christine, and it's, like, it's it's inexplicable what's happening, and, like, this guy tries to help, and I, it's just, there's such a fucking weird, it's such a, like, all of these scenes with the car, where the car is killing someone or trying to kill someone while it's sitting still they're weird you know like they they don't they don't jive in my brain of like you know what they're what they're trying to say is killing these people you know and so at this point you know maybe like 40 minutes in or something I'm talking like super slow burn with finally getting into the real plot and I feel like they could have cut a shit ton out of this plot because it was like it just, it felt over long by the time it was finally done. And, and honestly, there, there's no way. I mean, like, I don't know how, you know, how good Arnie's savings plan is or whatever, but it's like to actually restore Christine from the, the bucket of bolts situation that she was in before to what she was by then was like, it's, it was an insurmountable, you know, like there's no fucking way 
it would have taken him years and thousands of dollars just to make that happen. And I, and I don't care. I mean, it's, it's rust damage is horrendous, you know, like it's, it's really fucking bad. So at this point, we see the return of the, the bullies from school that were being mean to Arnie and, you know, cause Arnie's, he's had quite a bit of good luck come his way since he found Christine and he's, you know, pissing a lot of people off and stuff. And like these, these bullies sneak into the garage where Arnie is keeping Christine and they basically like destroy Christine. I mean, they, according to Arnie's account, they, one of them took a dump on the dashboard after they like smashed all the windows in and smashed all the panels and all that stuff. And it's just, it's all a little, a little strange, but it's, like, the, the sequence of Arnie actually repairing Christine after all that damage is done, of, like, what it looks like, I was really surprised. But but while they're breaking this, this car to pieces, you know, there's this white guy with this giant fro, and I'm like, who is that guy? Why do I know that guy? And then I look, and I'm like, no fucking shit. It's the guy from the beginning of Ghostbusters that fucking gets zapped by Bill Murray every time he answers a question wrong. And it's just, it's him. And that's all anyone should ever know him from is from Ghostbusters. And when, so when Arnie gets into the garage and, and he sees what's happened to Christine, he's, he's with Lee and Lee is like, Arnie is looking off into the distance at Christine and not really acknowledging Lee and he just keeps looking. And Lee keeps asking him, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, why don't you f- try and fucking look where he's looking and see if if he's seeing something? You know what I mean? Just like, did you not consider that at all? Like, is that not an option? And, I mean, just figure it the fuck out, you know? So this is this is the point. So once, once we discover Christine has been demolished by these fucking guys or like close to demolished by these guys... Uh, it's, it's about the halfway point and there's like 50 minutes to go. And at that point, I'm just thinking, get the fuck out of here. Like this is, this has been too slow and it really needs to pick it up in the second half. As I mentioned, one of them literally took a shit on the, on the dashboard of his car and the dad. So basically Arnie is flipping out because basically he blames his mom and dad for, not letting him store the car at their house because they don't think it would look nice in the, you know, on the lawn or whatever it is they say. And basically he's bitching at them because this happened to the car and the the dad like tries to like strong arm him and he like, he throws Arnie against the wall and then Arnie comes back like full force to fucking choke him. And the dad bitches out, like, immediately. Like, I, I mean, if I got the upper hand on my dad, in a, especially at 17, and I I went to, like, choke him like Arnie did, my dad would have laid me the fuck out. Like, my dad would have never fucking wanted... He would have never let anything else happen where he was going to look like a fool at all. Arnie is all pissed off, and he goes back to the garage... And he's going to start restoring Christine. And this is when shit starts getting a little more bizarre. 
And Christine is basically like, you know, there's a song playing and Christine's like restoring itself or herself or whatever you want to say. I honestly have to say, even though it's really weird, like the core, the, the whole thing with the car restoring itself is pretty fucking cool, honestly. Like, I can't deny that for a minute. It's, it's fucking great. And I, I don't know how they even did it, honestly, because I mean, shit, Terminator hadn't even come out yet. And I mean, those are some pretty solid special effects, but like, they make it look like the car just straight out fucking revamps itself completely right in front of your eyes. And it's like, holy shit, that's fucking crazy. I mean, I have to admit, especially in conjunction with the fact that the car is restoring itself. It's like, it's really nifty the way like they're playing the song that they're playing. And I don't even remember what song it was, but it's just like the music is cool. that's going on while the car is restoring itself. And it's just a, a pretty fucking sweet little scene. They have this moment where there's, you know, the car's going to get its vengeance on, you know, on these guys that, that vandalized it, you know, and this guy is running from Christine and he keeps freaking out, like wondering where the fuck he should go, what he should do, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, the, the problem is, is there are way too many places that cars cannot get to. I mean, there's just even like a small town or something like there's way too many opportunities for you to get somewhere that a car just can't fucking manage, you know? It just go down some steps, go up some steps. I don't give a shit, but they don't they make it seem as though that this car is like, you know, super duper invincible and can't be stopped and all this shit. And it it's just it's kind of dumb. The and basically the way that scene ends with the guy, you know, and the the car is like bearing down on the guy and he's like in this spot that's like a little too small for Christine to fit and all of a sudden it's like he just fucking you know gets you know like the Christine just fucking basically does the equivalent of like unhinging its jaw and fucking kills the guy you know it's fucking ridiculous like it it, it just I had a lot of hard uh, a really hard time and I I would say it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit but (laughs) It, oh, and it is at this point, and I always like to, if I, my thing is, is I usually don't feel like I can predict what's going to happen in movies a lot of times. I think more it's my mind state of like how I approach the movie that I don't want to spend the entire movie guessing what's going to happen and just being right about something, you know, like I'm not that dead set on being right about something. So it's like, I just want to watch the movie for fun if it's painfully obvious shit, then yeah, I'm going to know that's coming. But but at this point, you know, once this guy gets killed by Christine in this strange way, I I called I called something and I said, this car, I've got a strong feeling this movie's going to end with a not so subtle suggestion that Christine is not dead, just a hunch. And we've got, so... Once all this this questionable shit happens surrounding Christine, Arnie is starting to get questioned by the one and only Harry Dean Stanton. And he's just, you know, and his name is Detective Junkins. And so it was, you know, I, I couldn't even say when I saw Harry Dean Stanton what I knew him from. I just knew I knew him from something. I think he might be the dad in Pretty in Pink. The tension in the scene, I have to hand it to him, though. 
Harry Dean Stanton and Arnie are like, you know, Harry Dean Stanton is, is grilling Arnie about what's going on and how, you know, he's fixed this car and what, what he's done to it, where he got the parts from, you know, he's basically asking him some pretty fucking serious shit, like basically needing to know where he was, you know, cause obviously Harry Dean Stanton doesn't believe that this car is sentient and is killing people. He assumes that Arnie is using this car to kill people, right? It's, uh, I mean, the tension's really, really high in this scene. And, it, you know, uh, Stanton and and Arnie are, you know, they're at each other's throats. And, you know, Arnie's kind of just talking his way out of everything. And there, there's, there's, like, the next scene you see, I think, is, like, where Arnie... It's not Arnie, it's just Christine... And because, like, what they did with this car is they, like, tinted the windows out to make it so you couldn't tell whether or not somebody was inside it. And it's probably the best way to do it. I mean, I don't really know a better way. You know, we have a showdown with the original bully from school. And we have, um, we have Arnie. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a fucking, it's a fucking clusterfuck mess at this point. Because I'm just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm rooting for Dennis because he's the only one that's not, like, a real piece of shit. And Dennis is, like, you know, he's he gets injured or whatever and he's, you know, in the hospital and all this stuff's going on and he's kind of just stuck on the sidelines, so to speak. And I would say at this point, okay, so with all the shit going on, with this car doing doing what it's doing... I, I said to myself, if I was developing a rule book for a horror movie, it would be like number one in the book would be if I if I'm going to want a movie to be scary, I have to be able to take it seriously. And that's where I had to draw the line with this one. Like I was just I was at a complete loss for any semblance of taking it serious. And I understand you don't have to be able to take things one hundred percent seriously, but like Part of a horror movie, like part of the terror of watching a horror movie is the suspension of disbelief. You know, it's you you feel like it really could happen to you. But like for me, I didn't I didn't get in my vehicle the morning after I I got done watching this movie and like think it was going to take over and do something like I didn't I didn't get that feeling. You know, like you ever you ever watch a movie that like legitimately scares you and then you try and go to bed that night and it's silent in your house and you're like, what the fuck's going, you know, like every little things that, you know, every little thing you hear, it just, you're like, oh shit, is that somebody? Is that something? Is that the killer? Fuck. One thing I noticed in this movie is during different scenes, they, they specifically called out that it was Thanksgiving or that it was New Year's, but it didn't, it didn't do anything to advance the story at all. Like it didn't, it, other than like showing the passage of time, it didn't, I guess that's gotta be it. That's, that's the only real thing. Cause it's like, I thought there was going to be some relevance to what time of year it was. Not, you know, just knowing that time had passed, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it was an odd choice. So Dennis and Lee devise a plan cause they're positive that this car is evil and it's turning Arnie evil and so they go to the garage where Arnie keeps Christine and he's gonna, you know, they're gonna take a bulldozer and they're gonna, you know, fuck this car up. 
royal or whatever. And, I mean, Lee and Dennis are getting pretty fucking touchy-feely with each other. But, you know, what can you do? I, I'm not, not uh, you know, haters gonna hate, so I'm not gonna be that guy. And it, and it is, it's at, the, at this point, like, not only am I not taking it seriously, but I'm like, I would need to have seen a lot more than these characters have witnessed themselves firsthand to believe that this car was literally sentient, you know, like when they, they have the big showdown, you know, they've got the bulldozer, they've got uh, a big front end loader on it. And like, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't do much for me. Like it's the whole thing. It's just so wonky and weird to have like Christine and this bulldozer like dueling each other. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So that's the weird thing is, okay, we got the sequence earlier in the movie with Arnie and he's like, you know, basically watching Christine re like repair herself, you know, and it, it had, it's like a slow process and it's, it's almost like he has to conjure that out of her. And then it's like, it's, it becomes very uneven how Christine heals, you know? Like, it, you don't really have a good grasp of how long it would take for the car to get better. And, like, at a certain point, this car is just fucking fixing itself right up. It's got fucking healing powers like fucking Wolverine or something. Like, I don't even know how it's actually doing it. But anyway, it, they just, they do it and it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And at the end of the movie, you know, they go, they, they crush the car and, you know, they're, they're standing there with, I think it's Harry, Harry Dean Stanton is there and it's, it's Dennis and Lee. And I don't remember, God, it's only been like, this is, this is how my brain works. This is only, it's only been like three days since I watched this movie and I already can't remember if Arnie dies or if he lives or what happens to him. And they're standing there anyway with Dennis and Lee and Harry Dean Stanton and this crushed car is sitting in front of them and they're kind of like wrapping things up. And of course, as I called early on in the movie, the fucking car, like they do a little little wink at the camera at the end of the movie, like, uh-oh, this little part of the, the crushed car moved. It's still alive, you know? It's like, okay... And, I mean, so that's what I'll say. This movie, the, the effects were pretty fucking solid. I, I really liked what they did, and it it didn't look like shit, even in the least. Like, I was very pleased. And maybe, hopefully, it's just my bad vision, and it's really bad, and the world's not turned upside down on itself. But uh, the acting was definitely sincere in this movie. It was not like it was there was bad acting going on, really. And it was the things that they were having to do and the, the things you were supposed to believe of them... It didn't feel like they were like anywhere but in the scene in that in that sequence, you know, any of the sequence of events. And I would say the soundtrack is also another high point of this movie. It like it really takes takes some really nice 50s songs and just makes them eerie. It I like I don't think it invented it, but I have you noticed how it became a thing in the last couple of decades to like play an older song like that, like it from the 50s, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, that's like really creepy and cheerful, and like to play it while slow motion video is happening, like I don't know, it's just, it's one of those things I notice, but I would say the casting choices were pretty solid, like the, these, these actors, although you didn't really see much of any of them other than, 
you know, Harry Dean Stanton and Kelly Preston. I mean, they they did a good job and they were they suited the roles very well. But I will say, you know, as far as criticism is concerned, this story as a concept is patently absurd, even for bad horror movies, and I can't take it seriously enough for, you know, even to enjoy it a little bit. And I think basically it felt like the ending was a little too easy and the way everything kind of shook out was just a little too easy. I don't know. I mean, it did so much work setting up who these people were so that they could, you know, turn it on its head that you didn't really give a shit about it. Like, I, I wasn't really invested in Dennis. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been... I, I don't know what they could have done differently, honestly, but it just, I I wasn't invested in the characters. And it, honestly, like, to me, this movie, the the basic premise of the movie was just not, not super great. Uh, a little bit of trivia for you, just to kind of, you know, s- stop me from rambling quite so much. Uh, Stephen King was so popular in this era that the movie was in production before the book was published. Okay, I mentioned that. Per the DVD's included documentary, the film did not earn an R rating for its violence, but they feared no one would see it if it was PG, so they added some fuck words. Yes, yes, that's right. They added some fuck words. Okay, so portions of the film were shot in the same South Pasadena neighborhood as John Carpenter's 1978 movie Halloween. That's fun. There were only 5,303 1958... Plymouth Furies produced. So they had a really hard time. John Carpenter actually took out ads and was able to purchase 24 of the cars in various states of disrepair. Uh, Stephen King got multiple details about the features of the car wrong. He, he was saying that it was four doors, but it only came in two door. And he, you know, referenced a shift lever with, you know, where it was actually like a push button thing which it always shocks me the things that like come back around because like that's definitely a thing that they've started putting on cars again like push button transmission you know switching and it's just it's so bizarre to me to think that that was around back then like you'd you'd think it would always have been a stick shift type thing my favorite imdb nugget of the day when arnie brings christine to darnell's garage he talks back to Dennis's car and asks him to honk his horn. In the background, the bulldozer that will be used to destroy Christine can be seen. That's it. That's all it's saying. Hey, by the way, that bulldozer that they use at the garage where Christine is kept, that bulldozer is actually at the garage where Christine is kept earlier in the movie also. Yeah. Runtime, 110 minutes. About 20 minutes too long, I would say. Budget, $10 million. Worldwide gross, $21 million. IMDb rating, 6.7. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 69%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 64%. Personal rating, I'm saying 2.5 out of 5 stars, guys. It's, I didn't think it was a bad movie, but I can't, I I would never recommend it to somebody. I'd never tell somebody, oh, you got to check this movie out. It's about this killer car that, like, comes to life and murders people. Sounds spooky. Yeah, no thanks. I mean, I, I just can't. Do- so that puts it right at the middle. It had a lot of redeeming qualities given a bad premise, but a bad premise is a bad premise. I mean, that's all there is to it. Moving on to Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead was released 
on October 1st, 1968. It was directed by one George A. Romero. He has made such movies as The Crazies, The Amusement Park, Dawn of the Dead, which is a sequel to this movie, Creep Show, Day of the Dead, which is a sequel to this movie, Monkey Shines, which is hysterically bad. Like, it's... And in his defense, they they cut the shit out of the movie because, like, he wanted to do some really fucking off-the-wall shit that would have actually made it, like, a more reasonable movie, but they just... They wouldn't let him do it. The studio wouldn't. So, anyway. Land of the Dead, another sequel. Diary of the Dead, another sequel. Survival of the Dead, another sequel. Yeah, that's... George Romero, He's he's got some solid ones, but they're mostly sequels to Night of the Living Dead. Writers of this movie were John Russo and George Romero. Uh, producers, Russell W. Streiner and Carl Hardman. Okay, so the main actor in this movie is Dwayne Jones. He plays Ben. Judith O'Day plays Barbara. Carl Hardman, who plays Harry. Marilyn Eastman plays Helen. Keith Wayne plays Tom. Judith Ridley plays Judy. And... A little casting note, the role of Ben was originally written as a white man with below average intelligence, and when the part was cast with African-American actor Dwayne Jones, the writers chose not to rewrite any of the script to reflect this. Dwayne Jones insisted on playing the character much more intelligently, as seen in the film. So, a plot synopsis for this one. Oh boy, I gotta do this on the fly, I didn't even fucking remember to write one. Suddenly, the... East Coast of the United States is overtaken by reanimated corpses with cannibalistic tendencies. And we see what the characters we follow do to attempt to ward them off. Okay, that's good enough for me. So, at the beginning of this movie, you see this brother and sister. They're they're driving in this car. They're going to the cemetery and... You know, they're just kind of talking back and forth. And I got to say, like, right off the bat, I already love it because it's like, it feels like most movies would take this in a different direction and they would just say, well, we're going to have a couple, you know, we're going to have a man and a woman and they're going to be like boyfriend and girlfriend or married or whatever. And so they're going to visit their father's grave. Apparently it's like three hours from their house or something. And, you know, the brother's talking about like, moving the body closer or moving, you know, moving out to it or whatever. And I think it's, they've got a good dynamic because it is, it's like they're siblings. They're not romantic partners. So it's like, they're just kind of having a back and forth. that's more almost argumentative. You know, they don't, they're not saying lovey-dovey shit. I just, I really enjoy this aspect of it, guys. And it's such a small, small portion and, and, you know, at this point, you know, like, when they're coming up to the grave and they're getting out of the car, you, like, hear something coming on the radio, that, and they shut off the radio, and they don't acknowledge it, you know, so they don't really know what's going on. And so you're just kind of like, all right, whatever, you know. I mean, we as an audience just know, hey, this is a movie called Night of the Living Dead. This isn't going to just be an hour and a half long visit to the cemetery. So... Once they get out of the car, the brother starts teasing the sister. You know, he's giving her a hard time. And there's a great moment where he he says... They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! 
You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. And it's like, it's so great. And I the, the clip gets used over and over and over again. It's so fucking awesome. I love it. And it's like, they just, he says it and it's so creepy but well delivered. And there's a there's an old man that is like acting really weird in the cemetery, walking around kind of near them. And he's like, the brother's taunting the sister, you know, and it's like, so Barbara's like getting annoyed with her brother and she's like, leave me the fuck alone. And then the guy like actually attacks Barbara, the, the old man does. And so the brother like breaks it up, but the brother basically gets bitten, which by the way, if you don't know much about the, uh, the old living dead thing, that typically is how you get turned into a living dead person is by, you know, getting bit. So, and then they do the thing where, you know, it's like in a lot of horror movies, people always run and they like want to lock themselves in a car. They're like, they're like, fuck you. I'm not doing cardio today. You know what I mean? Like it's basically that's the way it is. It's not, it's not like they, it's weird because like, I, I forget this about zombies. Maybe I'm just not used to it in like modern zombie movies, but the guy, you know, the zombie outside of the car that's trying to get Barbara, he like goes and grabs like a brick or something to like hit the window. And I was like, I didn't think zombies like did that, you know, but must be they do because this movie says it and this movie is The Godfather, although not the original zombie film. I don't even know what is this original zombie film, if not this one, but Anyway, it's one of the first, and it basically set the standard. And so, I mean, as I mentioned, this movie's in the public domain, so that's why you're going to hear clips, and please do not get used to this as being a thing in my podcast, because it's not going to be a thing. Like, I I am way too paranoid in the legalities of fair use and all that stuff, and, like, actually using clips in podcasts. It's just too risky for me. I don't want to do it, but because... This is a public domain movie. I can, and I'll explain why that is. So Barb runs from the zombie and she breaks into this house. And I mean, that like, given what little she's seen, like, yeah, she wants to get away from this guy. But like, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, you know, it's all, we're all in on breaking into houses to get away from this guy now. You know what I mean? Like it would, it would not be cool. But so she does anyway. And and Barb, Barb is, like, fucking losing her mind. She's going what they would call, like, catatonic, basically. Like, she's just not being responsive, you know? And Ben, this, this, the main guy, Ben, uh, Dwayne Jones, I think is his name, he just shows up at this house, and he, like, decides, like, okay, we need to start boarding up these things, because, you know, like, Barb finds, like, the, the owner of the house, or at least one of the owners, is there... And has been like partially eaten. But it's not clear why that body doesn't come back to life, you know? I mean, Ben is Ben is so annoyed with Barbara because, you know, it's like he's thinking to himself, Oh, you know, like I found somebody that's actually another regular human person, not an undead person. And now she's going to be all fucking like zonked out and weird about shit. So Ben's trying to make like really quick work of fortifying the house and, you know, getting boards on the windows and doors and things like that. Barbara's just sitting there by being a fucking drooling vegetable. Basically, 
Ben is in, he's of the mindset that, like, he wants Barbara to understand that she needs to give up on finding her brother and that there's not any chance for him. You know, he's already gone. And she, like, kind of gets aggressive with him. And he, like, slaps her just to get her to calm the fuck down because she, like, freaks out when he says it. And all of a sudden, these guys just appear out of nowhere from the cellar. And it's like, well, who are you? And they're, they've just been fucking hiding there for a while. I mean, it's funny because there's there's so much cool back and forth stuff, you know? Like, I mean, just the, the interactions that these people have with one another, they feel genuine. They feel like conversations you would really have if you were in this situation. They're not talking about stupid shit. They're not saying dumb things. And, you know, they're... And, and I also like the fact that, like, you get different personality types with every, you know, group of people. You're going to get people that are all for a certain way of thinking and they're all going to be against another way, you know? So, it it, it was such a, a good development in the story because it's like, once you get this added, you know, because it's just like, if it's just these two, you have to realize that they're fucked. You know what I mean? Like, if it's just two people, if it's Ben and Barbara, no. I mean, I don't... So... <sighs> To set the scene for you, we have Ben, Barbara, and then we have the two couples from the cellar, and one of the two couples has a child, okay? And that child is getting quote-unquote sick, okay? Harry and Helen are at the house. They're seeking refuge from the monsters, and, you know, they had their car turned over, and one of the monsters bit the daughter, and she's been a little sick ever since. And the other, uh, the other, the other couple is Tom and Judy. They're the ones without the kid. And so Harry and Helen, you know, the they, Helen's been watching the daughter in the the cellar. And Harry, like Helen, is just had it. She's had it with Harry's shit, you know. And she just everything she says, she's like, you know, it's all dripping with disdain. And it's like she's just so. She's like, wait, what? They have, they have a fucking TV up there. What do you mean they have a TV up there? You know, why wouldn't you tell me that? This place is ridiculous. Look at this. There's a million weak spots up here. Give me one of those. Her brother was killed. talk about these windows. I can't see a damn thing. There could be 15 million of those things out there. That's how much good these windows are. Why don't you do something to help somebody? And Tom and Judy are there and they're upstairs talking to uh, to Ben and you know, they, they had apparently heard, like, the emergency broadcast come over the radio and stuff. So Tom helps Ben out with, you know, boarding up shit in the house. The the number of these, they, they call them ghouls in this movie. Like, the word zombie, I don't even know if it existed in this time. But the ghouls are, like, increasing in numbers, right? And... When they get the TV out and they start watching it, you know, the broadcast describes the bizarre wave of killings on the East Coast, and they describe the ghouls and what they're doing and how to kill them. And then 
Uh, they, they describe them as, you know, cannibalistic and reanimated corpses and all that stuff. And then they also describe the men who are armed that are going around attempting to hunt the ghouls. They say that the ghouls can be killed with basically severe trauma to the head or by lighting them on fire or whatever. The broadcast just talks about, you know, rescue centers that are around and things like that. They also, they talk about, and I always forget about this, but like they basically give it this backstory that like why these undead people are coming about. Why are space experts being consulted about an earthbound emergency? So far, all the betting on the answer to that question centers on the recent Explorer satellite shot to Venus. That satellite, you'll recall, started back to Earth, but never got here. That's the space vehicle which orbited Venus and then pur was purposely destroyed by NASA when scientists discovered it was carrying a mysterious high-level radiation with it. Could that radiation be somehow responsible for the wholesale murders we're now suffering? And honestly, like... the. So one thing, I mean, this is a really low-budget movie, guys, so just bear with me, but the the guy who plays Tom, I mean, solid character, not a great actor, and they, they needed to have, like, as little focus on, and I guess they did, they, they wanted to put as little focus on him as possible, so I, I understand it. And they show, like, the little girl in the basement, and she's kind of dressed like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and honestly, like... I mean, it's hard because it's like I would have loved to have been able to see this through someone in 1968's eyes, you know, like where you don't really understand what's what's the premise here, you know, like what's going on, what's going to happen to this girl who bit or you know who got bit, and and Ben is showing that he has some acting chops. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely standing out, especially against Tom, and, and I mean it, every interaction you see in this movie is it, it feels so right you know what i mean it just feels like it's it's so well done to me and and i do i do want to point out that all these citizens taking up arms it, it's questionable you know like they're 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 questionable i don't know if they'd have the best of interest of everybody at heart and so they devised this plan you know ben and and the rest of them that they're going to try and get to one of these rescue centers you know that they're talking about on the news so they've got to go and they've got to they know where there's a gas pump and they've got to take this truck over to get some gas with all of these fucking ghouls outside and they're just you know they they go over they they're gonna use they're gonna use fire they're gonna use molotovs they're gonna use uh different shit like that and so they go over to fill up the truck and basically accidentally Tom and Judy are in the truck and the, the truck catches fire and explodes. And so they're dead. And then basically like through the, through the mayhem, you know, like they're back and they're like Ben shoots Harry. And by this time, Barbara's finally become like responsive and is acknowledging that she needs to fucking do something. And by the time she does, it's like too little too late and she gets carried away by the ghouls. And so Ben goes and hides in the cellar. And I mean, basically he spent the whole movie criticizing Harry for saying that, you know, the cellar is, you know, not a good place to go. We've got to get somewhere safe or whatever. 
And so basically, Ben hides. Everybody else is is dead. You know, like the like after Harry dies, and the daughter is she. You know, she succumbs to the illness and becomes one of the the undead. And she eats her father's corpse, and then she stabs her mother with like a one of those trowels that you use for like spreading cement or whatever and so it's like everybody's fucking gone you know like that the whole in like a blink of an eye basically you know you all you've got left is ben out of these like seven people that were at this fucking house right and so ben stays in the cellar and you know you've got these guys that are prowling around that are trying to kill all these undead and, you know, basically, like, Ben kind of gets a feeling like the coast is clear and he, he hears them out and about. You know, he knows they're not the undead. And he goes out and, like, he goes to try and get to, like, he goes by a window and one of the guys sees Ben. All right, Vince, hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. And fucking shoots him right between the eyes. And the movie is fucking over. And it is just it. Like, it is done. And it's like, holy shit, man. Like, that's fucking wild, you know? Like, I, I can't I can't deny that it fucking gets me. And it's, it's still, it's, to this day, it's fucked up. It's a great fucking ending. I mean... They, they insisted that it not have, you know, a wine and roses type ending. I, I, and I would say that that's, you know, like, like I mentioned, you know, it's, it's very, the, the movie is very real. It feels very grounded in reality and it's, it's not ridiculous or stupid. It's just, it's very basic. Like, yeah, if this actually were to happen, then this is how it would go down. And this is probably the kind of shit people would talk about. As far as criticism, I mean, obviously it would have benefited the movie to have a higher budget but that's you know there's nothing that could be done about that so I really don't have much criticism for this movie I guess I would say the pacing is a bit wild I mean it's but it is what it is like it it just feels like you're you're taking a glimpse into their life you know some little trivia for you guys because there's quite a bit about this movie the initial budget for this movie was six thousand dollars uh, there were 10 investors and each of them invested $600. So this was like in the, you know, the mid sixties. And then they quickly realized that, you know, they kept upping the ante and trying to get more because they realized they needed more. And then they realized that they were like, okay, we really need to fucking fund this movie. And they raised $114,000, which is roughly $941,000 by 2022 money, which is impressive because i mean honestly i could probably make a pretty pretty okay movie with $941,000 but then again i've never actually tried it and i don't know how much work really goes into it so you know i, I won't i won't be too bold here the script started as a horror comedy about an alien who comes to earth and befriends teenagers and it evolved into what it became which is very different from that Romero drew heavy inspiration from the 1954 novel I Am Legend, which obviously became a 2007 movie with Will Smith. The film notoriously never uses the word zombie. Romero referred to the reanimated people as ghouls. 
The budget drove the concept of the plot to put the actors in one location and have the danger come to them, which is very clever. It's very well done. Black and white was used to save money. They, you know, it, it kind of has a cascading, because I think it's easier just to, in general, just to shoot in black and white. But on top of that, like, all of the effects, they don't have to be in the right color. You know what I mean? So they can they can use different effects than what they normally would. Early titles of the movie included Night of Anubis and Night of the Flesh Eaters. They changed it to Night of the Living Dead because a movie called The Flesh Eaters had already been produced. While they were changing that title, they accidentally removed the copyright notice on that was required at the time to have on the, the title of the movie on screen. And so basically that sent it immediately into public domain, which is like, it, I mean, it's, it's done wonders for the genre and like everything about it. But at the same time, I mean, you feel bad for the guys. Cause I mean, like with as successful as it got, I mean, you have to be fucking bitter about it every fucking time you see there was a lot of controversy surrounding the gore and violence in a time when many were pushing for a more robust rating system. And this was actually like a month before they enacted the rating system. So this is the last movie to not actually be rated. Or one of the last movies not to be rated. As of 2019, Amazon, you know, this is due to the public domain thing, but as of 2019... Amazon.com lists editions of Night of the Living Dead, numbering 13 on VHS, 130 on DVD, 12 on Blu-ray, 1 on Blu-ray 3D, and 56 on Amazon Video. Wow. Bosco chocolate syrup was used to simulate blood, same way they did it in Psycho. I've, I've heard this Bosco, I, I heard it referenced on Seinfeld. I, I don't know if I just haven't been paying attention, but I've never seen Bosco syrup, like Bosco anything. But maybe I have. Maybe, you know, like I looked it up. It didn't look familiar, but maybe I just wasn't looking at it when I was at the store last time. The closing out of my regular trivia items, I have my IMDb nugget for uh, Night of the Living Dead, which is none of the cast are credited at the start of the film, perhaps because the film has no major stars. Yes, okay. Runtime, 96 minutes. Budget, $125,000. Worldwide gross to date, $30 million. I don't know if that's adjusted or not. I would think that would be an extremely high number for the 60s, but maybe not. Uh, IMDb rating, 7.8. Rotten Tomato critic score, 96%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 87%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. I'm shocked to say it myself, but I I actually do really love this movie. And if I thought the money would actually go to the people that made the movie, I would buy a copy of this movie. But I, I don't have any reason to. It's on every fucking streaming service that you can think of. I don't even know. I mean, there are probably some that it's just not on for the fuck of it. But it's like, if you're, if you're Netflix, why would you not take... A free movie, you know what I mean? A free streamer, you know? You know, as always, um, suggest your movies, suggest your, your fun stuff for me. Um, let me know if you don't like something, if you do like something, if you want to hear more, if you want to hear less, whatever. Uh, please, 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 please keep your chin up out there. Have a good night.
Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.